I don't have anything. Yeah, you think our listeners are just assuming this, this content writes itself. Welcome to this week's episode of the Cool Dad Shirt Podcast. We'll be talking about... We're talking about the fun of Evil Knievel, sending daughters back to school, how we got our name, and can you believe it, 40-year-old music. So I thought maybe we'd take a second and introduce the Cool Dad name. And uh, Rich, I've heard you put it in much better words than I, so... Uh... <laughs> well, uh, you originally came up with the working title cool dad shit which uh really kind of encompasses kind of the vibe of what we got going on here and we liked it but there was some concern about the, the profanity and maybe some wider appeal as we as we get going and maybe we take that out for now and uh so we, we played around with some different ideas and we just kind of got stuck so we decided to uh insert one letter and just move it slightly and come up with a logo and uh you know, a lot of times shirts are barometers for coolness, and that's sort of where we are, and we're trying to encompass that uh, that conversation here. We certainly like to sort of strive for some sort of coolness and, and maintain youthfulness. And, and that that's exactly right. Uh, no, I, I, I wrestle with coolness every day, and fashion too, by the way. It's been a lifelong struggle for me. But, uh, but it can be fun to be a dad, and it can be cool, and, you know, you can play music and do things, and uh, this is a place to talk about that stuff. Absolutely, which almost brings me to the first uh, topic here. Our kids went back to college after a long mid-semester break, and I was thinking about things that I don't miss. <laughs> I miss my daughter, of course. I did not miss these things. So uh, I'll read a couple of them off to you, and uh, if there's any that uh, you'd like to insert, uh, jump right in here. Let's hear it. Never wanting to eat a meal at the same time as us. <laughs> Yes. Yes. You're lining up dinner for, you know, six ish o'clock and, you know, five fifteen. They're just <laughs> there's some giant thing coming out of a microwave. Yes, exactly. Dirty dishes constantly in the sink, despite constantly. the dishwasher being exactly next to the sink. Uh, yeah, I think it's been explained uh, more than once. Yes. Leaving on every single light in the entire house. Uh, yeah. Done by people who don't pay the bills. Yes. <laughs> The kitchen towel always being either balled up on the counter or on the floor in front of the dishwasher. Yeah, dude, it's simple. Folding is not, yeah. It was so nice to find my phone still on the charger the other day because anytime I would plug my phone in, I'd come back an hour and a half later and find my phone alone by itself on the counter with no charger. Yeah, uh, I'm rapidly getting to a rule... um where it's over. Uh, Dad may even buy uh, two more chargers, and that's it. You, mine will be hidden forever in a place you will never find it, and you shall never use my charger ever again, yes. The number one thing that I won't miss, although I know the conversation will continue, was every conversation involved a financial transaction. <laughs> uh, yes, our daughter is at the age where... Well, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, my youngest just started a new job, and she said um, she was telling me about it. And she said, "Yeah, they, yeah, I get paid every two weeks, and I get I started uh, right in the middle of the pay thing, so I don't get paid for three weeks, and I have no gas." Yeah, so that story ended with money. So, what is uh, what have you been listening to in terms of music this week? Uh, this week, uh, I got a little reacquainted with uh, Stone Temple Pilots, one of my my top five bands of all time. Um, I was jamming with some people the other day, and we uh, we 
decided to take a crack at Interstate Love Song, and then it, you kind of go back in, and they're, they're such a great band because they're sort of known for their hard rock stuff, but they, they do some just really wonderful things, so it was nice to kind of revisit uh, that 90s era. Yeah, I wanted to bring this up on some earlier episodes that we recorded about albums that had turned 40 years old in 2022. When I dial up some of this music, I don't even have the realization that it's that it's 30 or 40 plus years old. Like, I'll give you an example. Toto 4, that was the album mm-hmm. with uh, Africa and Rosanna, and I won't hold back on it. That turned 40 years old in 2022. Something wow. you still listen to now, and you still yeah. think... It doesn't, you know, it doesn't sound much different than music today, or it doesn't sound much different than it did then. I don't know what the phenomenon. Uh, I saw a meme. This, this blew my mind. There was a very popular show in the late '80s called The Wonder Years, and it was about uh, life in the 1960s, and it just, you know, Americana, nostalgia, um, all that kind of stuff. But that show was like a nine. I think it was 1988 about a time in America in 1968, which was only 20 years. That's like us being nostalgic about a show in 2002. And that's exactly, 2003 yeah. at this point. I mean, uh, right to exactly to your point, that seems inconceivable um, how that has changed. 2000 does not seem as far from 2022 as 1960 felt from 1980. Yeah, exactly. Uh, some other songs and uh, other albums on this list. I'll just read a few. The Clash, Combat Rock, one that you'll love and I love as well. Rush, the Signals album, yeah, was uh, 40 years old in 2022. Phil Collins, Hello, I Must Be Going. Some other stuff that I sort of gravitated to at that young age. XTC, English Settlement, The English Beat, Special Beat Service, Save It For Later. Oh yeah, go go. No, I it just it, it's it's kind of blowing my mind, and you you know used to think of like how fresh and new some of these bands like U two sounded and stuff like that, and uh, you know that's that's they've been around for a million years. Also on that list was uh, Van Halen Diver Down album. Why why does Van Halen just seem timeless? Some some things sound dated. I man, I can listen to Van Halen anytime, and it does not sound like old music. Uh, nineteen eighty three. I'll bring up a couple from nineteen eighty three. You know, and there's everything on here from like the police, synchronicity to U2, war. You know, you have Cindy Lauper, Lionel Richie, uh, the Pointer Sisters, <laughs> you know, ZZ Top, Iron Maiden, Def Leppard, Culture Club, Huey Lewis. Yeah, it just, it, it's all over the place. Stevie Nicks, Houdini, Eurythmics. Well, I think part of that, uh, I, I think, might be uh, the advent of. MTV, where it was it was the one and only thing. Like radio, still had some compartmentalization. Uh, you could you could listen to a few different categories, but MTV had such a wide appeal and it had just been invented that yeah, you you would watch, you know, you'd see a Van Halen uh, video and then you'd see a, a Lionel Richie. <laughs> I mean, and you were just exposed to all this pop music uh, across the board, and it was just a different time. Yeah, yeah. I felt back then, despite there being a fair amount of radio stations available, I felt like you still had to work to discover some music on your own. You know, you would really have to comb and dig and discover by going to like a record store or something of that nature. Because comparing today, you know, my daughter dials up one song on a paid subscription service or YouTube, and it does the work for you. It starts curating music based on stuff that you've previously liked, uh, which I find amazing, and I, I certainly appreciate it. But I just compare it to being younger and having to actually work and dig to discover stuff. 
Yeah, and uh, like most things associated with technology, there, there's good and bad. Like the hunting for that stuff and seeking it out, it was very exciting because you actually had to go go find it. Now it just it just stumbles across, you know, if you, you pick a genre, it just stumbles across your streaming service. Uh, and there's good and bad in that. I mean, it, at least I'm getting variety, but it's definitely stuff that uh, I'm I'm likely to like. I remember when cable uh, when cable came out, t- cable TV, um, they started offering music channels, and you know you would just dial up like the '80s or the '90s, and the formatting, the only the <laughs> the only criteria they used were. Uh, that year so like you'd get master of puppets by metallica followed by true colors by cindy lopper you know both great songs but they don't sound good next to each other you know it's just it's just insane so uh, i think the the new services um obviously have made that a lot better looking at some of these artists i start thinking about what age and when i was first allowed to go to some concerts how old were you and when did you when did you go and what were the first or some of the first shows that you remember going to see I was the oldest of four kids, so I didn't have the influence of getting out uh, any earlier. So I think uh, in 1984, I went and saw, this is when I started entering my uh, my metal phase, and uh, a friend of mine, my friend Lance, was really into the Scorpions, and they were coming to the Broome County Veterans Memorial Arena. <laughs> and uh, we got there, and it was that was my first concert. Um, a, a silly little no-name band from New Jersey opened up for them, and played a song I think I heard on the radio the day before. Uh, it was Bon Jovi and their 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 soon big hit uh, "Runaway," and I believe that was 1984. So that was my first one. Followed by uh, uh, the Kinks were still touring uh, wow, in the in the mid 80s. I caught them. Just classic, that's classic stuff. Good one. Yeah, there were some good things there. Uh, I tried to catch Rush whenever I could. Um, I have to dig back through some old stuff to remember other ones. How about you? I saw some bands like, you know, Warrant and Wasp and some of these metal bands, very, very young. Around 1982 and 83, I started going to some of these bigger shows. And I remember, I don't know if the Signals, if the Rush Signals was my first arena concert or if it was Iron Maiden. And I remember, you know, getting home and getting to bed and getting up the next morning and putting on the tour shirt that you bought. The three-quarter black sleeve you know, it was the staple tour shirt. It was every main concert event. You would just get two varieties. They were both three-quarter black sleeve. The fronts were a little different, and the backs would list all the all the shows of that particular tour. And it will always be very memorable to me, and I'm always super grateful to have been able to have that experience. Uh, that is great nostalgia. Uh, I, I don't know why I've never thought about, I've not thought about the three-quarter sleeve in decades. Yeah, what was up with that, the three-quarter sleeve? It was just the trademark. And I wish, not that I would wear them, and I don't know what kind of condition they'd be in, but, you know, to have one or two of those three-quarter sleeve Rush ones or the Iron Maiden ones, you know, it was affordable too, right? It was thirteen fifty for the ticket, 15 bucks for the tour shirt. For 40 bucks, it was a life experience. Well, yeah, not, not to rant like an old man here, but I, I, I know there's inflation and things cost more money these days. I understand that. But even back then, yeah, tickets were like $13, $15. I understand it was a different time, but you were likely to still have $15 in your pocket back then. That was not unattainable. Uh, you got to take out a mortgage to see some of these uh, classic touring shows now to, to, to catch them live. It's, that's insane. Exactly. If you even take into the consideration the cost of living increases, it still does not bring you anywhere near 
the price for ticket admission and or any sort of merchandise after the show. Yeah, my uh, my daughter, I think, paid like $100 to sit on a lawn at an amphitheater out, out with all the crazy people. That just does not seem right. Yeah, who was, and I know who the band I would pick, but who would be one band that you regrettably did not see and would no longer have an opportunity to see them. That is, wow, uh, I have to think about that. I've never seen you 2 uh, I, I think they would be, uh, I've heard their shows are amazing. Of course, you can watch them online. Um, they come around, they're, but also very cost prohibitive, and they only play giant cities. Uh, they're still kicking, though, so may, that may not be out of the question, but that's been a big miss in my life so far. What, 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 what were you thinking? I'll tell you a U2 story in a second. The one band I really wish I had an opportunity to see was The Police. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, no, that's my vote too, yeah. I would love to have been able to see them in 1980 and not so much like a mid to late 80s, but I would take I would take any and all of the above. They're all still hanging around and, and they're all doing things. It's uh, it's remarkable, but they I think that chemistry was a... That was a very short-lived period of time where those three could get along and make great music. The U2 story was unfortunate. I had outstanding tickets to go see U2 uh, when I was a senior in high school. As a senior, I came down with a terrible case of chickenpox, uh, which sounds funny, but I was unable to go see U2, the Joshua Tree Tour. And, and oh, man. I could spend a lot of time talking about how much I enjoyed their music and how disappointed, how unbelievably disappointed I was that I could not go to the show because of uh, the chickenpox. Oh, man. And getting, getting that uh, in high school had to be a bummer for just so many reasons. I was not in good shape. Understood. Totally get it. Uh, talking about dads, I stumbled upon another list. Some of them are uh, are pretty funny, and I'm guilty of most of these. Uh, what about you, Rich? <laughs> Let's see. Reaching their hands in the back of the car for snacks. <laughs> I, I swear, when I'm in the car, my kids got some snacks. I always slip my hand back between the seat and the console, hoping that they would, would just share some snacks with me. Yeah, and I'm not even thinking about it until you start hearing bags ruffle and crunching coming from the back. Like, okay, well, now, now I'm in. Yeah. yeah, it's conditioning. You hear the bags and you're like, man, it's snack time. Lay some mommy. This one I, I'm guilty of. Having the best relationship with a family dog, even though you didn't want the dog in the first place. <laughs> uh, yeah, I also think that's probably a universal experience. Um now I get it. Uh, you know that, that's why it's called man's best friend. I mean that's a long-standing cliche. Yeah, this one's funny. Staring at extremely uneventful things like construction, dude. I I get lost <laughs> in that stuff. <laughs> my, my kids have actually made fun of me, like right to my face. With you, you just stare off into <laughs> what's what's Jim doing over there? <laughs> He's like working on his working on his uh, lawnmower or something. It, yeah, just I'm lost in yeah. What is it with this next one? Refusing to get rid of the same shirt that you've had for decades. Is it a comfort thing? Is it a style thing? Uh, it's probably a combination of all of those things. Exactly. Here's another one I'm guilty of. You know, knocking on their door, heading into their room, asking them a completely non-urgent question. Uh, yeah, it comes to a front of mind and here we go. Yeah. Uh, and the last two, I mean, are true concerns and characteristics of, of every dad. Freaking out over the price of gas and uh, never wanting anyone to touch the thermostat. Uh, those are definitely true, and the, yeah, the gas prices thing is because it's not just my gas tank; it's also <laughs> daughter's gas tank. So yeah, that's a multiplier. And uh, yeah, the heat again—it's um, it's very frustrating in January when people are walking around shorts and t-shirt, complaining how it's cold in the house. Uh, yes, 
uh, last podcast, we were talking about some of the uh, unfortunate passings and uh, Robbie Knievel came up. And of course, I was thinking about his dad, Evil Knievel. And man, as a kid, I loved Evil Knievel. I would probably venture to say that back in the day, they had those Evil Knievel motorcycles. Oh, yeah. You would put them on those those little mini ramps, crank the little handle, and it would spin that heavy rubber wheel inside the motorcycle. And as soon as you stop spinning that wheel, whatever sort of clutch release was built into the mechanism, it would release the motorcycle and the thing would go, you know, flying at breakneck speeds for, you know, ridiculously long distance, you know, doing wheelies, or you can position evil standing up on the seat. <laughs> the different positions. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of great toys, but if I had to think about one that really stood out, that really was one that I continue to play with for a really, really long time, it would definitely be that Evil Knievel stunt bike. <laughs> well, I love that too. It was so interactive, not only just for the fun, but you could uh, you could launch it at younger siblings. Uh, that was great. The, the, yeah, the thing was a few pounds. It had like a proper gyroscope on that weighted wheel, like you were saying. Uh, that was a ton of fun. Um, yeah, the Hot Wheels stuff, I always kind of liked just doing new things with tracks, sort of creating different arrangements. But I think probably one of my long longest running favorite toys would be... Uh, would have to be Legos. I know that's still a very popular thing now. Of course, you know, back in my day, we didn't have any prepackaged things. You just got a you got a box of blocks and just you know go make something. So there was something very creative and engaging um, about it back in that day. So uh, yeah, love the Legos. Uh, you seem like a guy that had an erector set too. All those building things, yeah. Uh, what Lincoln Logs? That was <laughs> Lincoln, Logs. Lincoln Logs. I could never get into. You could just make squares. You just you just stack the square, and uh, that was uh, a little limiting on the creativity. The erector sets were pretty cool. They were those little metal, not bars, but like sheets, like, right? It was like stamped metal uh, had holes channels. They were like channels, and you yeah. could fasten them to each other, and you could yeah change them into different things. Then if you got the deluxe set, I think there was little motors you a could motor. put into them, so you could run pulleys, and yeah, you could lift crap, and yeah. Yep. The uh, Evil Knievel stunt bike was definitely a summer outdoor only toy, though. That wasn't really something you can you can get away with in the house. Let's see it a long hallway or something. So Evil Evil Knievel in the summer, Legos and Erector sets in the winter. Hey, speaking of Evil Knievel, I just you know if you're under a certain age and, and you're listening to us, you have no idea how exciting it was the buildup when Evil Knievel was about to jump over something. You know, back, we just didn't have a ton of entertainment options. The internet was decades away. TV was... So on a Sunday afternoon, there was literally nothing to watch on TV. And then there would be the buildup all week. And uh, he's jumping Snake River or the Grand Canyon or something. There was all these... And, you know, and your friends would run home like, we got to go see this because it was so exciting. It was a big deal. When it was on TV, it would be like three hours of buildup <laughs> with a commercial every six minutes. And you would sit there sweating and rocking at the edge of your seat for two hours and 58 minutes. And then the last 60 seconds, the event would finally happen. Evil would crash, breaking eight to 15 bones in his body. They would rush him off in an ambulance to the hospital, and that would be it till his next stunt. And you were shocked and amazed. Every stunt that he would attempt was just more insane and crazier and bigger and better than the last. And it didn't even matter. It didn't even matter, unfortunately, that he crashed. You know, you felt bad that he was so injured, but it just didn't even matter. It was this stunt guy on this motorcycle that weighed hundreds of pounds, was not designed to do what it was doing, <laughs> no, and he would launch him and 
himself and that poor machine 50, 60 feet into the air and then come crashing down on, you know, some ramp that three guys built, you know, on a three-day weekend uh, in the middle of nowhere. The uh, First of all, you perfectly encapsulated the event. Like, you explained that perfectly. And I don't know why, for some reason, the fascination with the neighborhood, uh, my buddies, uh, it was the number of bones he broke. And it was like, oh, dude, it was like, he broke like 12 bones on that last one. Like last time it was just eight. I, I don't know why that was so fascinating that we enumerated the fractures, but yeah. So this brings us to the tip of the week. And I would like to say, keep your gain set at 90. <laughs> yes. I dig it and I shall. <laughs> <laughs>